Welcome to Entrepreneurial Minds. I'm Valerie Donahue, and on this podcast, we'll travel around the world to learn everything that we can about individuals who choose to create businesses from scratch. We'll dive into what drives them, what stops them, and what inspires them in order to identify. Are there common factors that unite us as entrepreneurs across continents? Here's your next episode. Today with us, we have Ben Gutman, the partner and co-founder of Digital Natives Group, an award-winning digital marketing agency headquartered in Queens, New York. Ben didn't skip a beat and started his agency straight out of college. Since then, him and his partners have grown the business with an impressive client roster, providing services for the NFL, I Love New York, Comcast, and more. Ben is also a digital marketing professor at both of our alma mater, Baruch College. Welcome, Ben. Thanks, Valerie. Ben, you were the president of our student government at Baruch, and then you started your own agency um, right out of school. Uh, so it seems like you were always very focused. Um, were you always like that, even as a kid? Uh, that's funny. Um, so it's funny. And now it's been nine years since you know since we graduated, right? I mean, so it's uh, right. at least for a long time. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, it's it's funny you say focus because I feel like uh, you know what we do is sometimes in agency world um, is a little unfocused, right? We're dealing with a lot of different clients and a lot of different verticals, um, and you know, there's a lot of energy. I would maybe say that a little bit more. Um, but you know, I, I was I, I would you know in terms be kind of a you know lazy bum as a kid, but then I also was you know president of the you know, business club at my high school, and uh, you know I. I, I just, you know, I tend to have a lot of energy and try to uh, try to keep myself busy. You started getting into the kind of activities that you're, the things that you were good at early on and kind of that validation kind of kept happening, your maybe young adult life and into school and, and obviously out of school. So were, were there kind of like any of like the first instances where you were doing something that you were like, okay, like I'm really good at this. I want to do more of it. You know, I, going back to, you know, being a, a teenager and, and growing up in Smithtown, um, you know, out in Suffolk County, uh, I was I was involved. There's a club called DECA, which is kind of they had chapters and schools all across the country. Uh, but it was a business marketing club. Um, and, you know, that was a group of friends that I made there that was really, um, it was really a fun team to be a part of. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, that kind of camaraderie, uh, combined with the act of doing things for the club, right? Fundraising and membership and the website and everything else. Um, you know, all that stuff, uh, you know, really was a very satisfying experience and probably more enriching. I probably learned more doing that than I did in most of the classes. Um, and then when you kind of scale it up to the next level, you know, going to college, um, same thing. Student government uh, was a more um, enriching and a more, um, enlightening activity uh, for me than most of my classes. Not to say I had bad classes, I had plenty of great ones, uh, but I made a ton of friends in, you know, in student government in college and in DECA and in high school. And actually, you know, my business partners today came from those two, um, those two experiences. Uh, so I highly, I mean, now that I teach, I highly recommend to all my students to get involved with, you know, anything extracurricular uh, because that is going to be what you remember 10 times more than what happened in your science class, your math class, your English class. 
Yes. Yeah, so, so it's actually interesting that you said that because I know that there are a lot of conversations now with students who are in school or they're going to be going to college. And it feels like a, like a little bit of a different generation or a different approach to how they view school and the value that they get out of school. But being that you're a professor, I would, I would love to get your take on the value of going to college, the, the value of uh, paying for a degree. And yeah, I, you know, I only teach you know, I'm an adjunct, right? So I only teach one course a semester, but I've been doing it for six years now. And it's, I call it my favorite hobby because, you know, it's CUNY and, you know, CUNY, CUNY pay is not necessarily a ton of money. <laughs> so, uh, but I've been very happy to have a few hundred students come through, um, you know, in the, in the 12 or so classes that I've taught. Uh, and, uh, you know, what's true for them is what's true, you know, when we were there before, which is you really, you get out what you put in, you know, it's very easy, especially in, in a college setting, especially in a commuter college setting, like, like a lot of King schools, um, to just go to class and go home, you know, go to class, you know, do the bare minimum, you know, read the books and go home. Um, and that's great. You'll get a degree at the end of that and you'll learn some stuff. But uh, all of these type of things, you, you're you're only scratching the surface if that's all you do. Um, you know, you're not if you're not involved in a sport or a media publication or a club or city government or or even you know a protest on campus or anything like that, then you're uh, you're really missing out on the the great brunt of of the experience there. I know. I remember that in college, somewhere around our junior year, that's when they started rolling out the digital marketing classes. And before that, it was just, you know, like standard, like marketing. And I remember paying attention to that. And so then a few years after we graduated is when you started teaching a curriculum. So you were really teaching something that didn't have a precedent. So how did you go about forming a curriculum and how did it evolve over time? Yeah, so I... so. Same thing. You know, I was uh, a student in the marketing department. My major was marketing management. Um, the uh, the digital marketing curriculum kind of came online just in time to join it, but I decided to stay in the general marketing one. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up teaching because you know I, I stayed involved with alumni uh, activities in the school for a little bit, um, as well as um, keeping in touch with some of my old my old professors. You know, I did a couple. Uh, you know, guest lectures. I did some judging. I did a few other things that brought me back to school. And the kind of long story short, I had a conversation with the marketing department chair and I said, you know, the stuff you're doing in the digital marketing department, you know, isn't that great yet? You know, what can mm. we, um, you know, me and another student, uh, well, another alum. And we were, you know, we were asked to, to teach uh, a class. I said, okay, well, you have, if you have a problem with it, why don't you do something about it? Um, so uh-huh. we decided to teach a class that friend ended up, you know, not being able to do it. So I did it on my own. Um, and that was, you know, I guess that was 2014 or so, some 2013. Um, and it was, you know, it's been a ton of fun. It's been a ton of fun. I, I typically have about 40 students in the class. Um, and in being able to kind of see them progress from the beginning of the semester to the end of the semester with the, their understanding of the topics, the quality of their work, the presentation skills, everything. Um, and being able to be in touch with them afterwards uh, is really great. Yeah, I, I think it's such a gift, I think, for students to to have a professor like you who is, you know, who's doing it in the real world. You know, like not to talk anything bad, but I remember during school thinking, wow, there's a lot of people teaching 
that have never done it. And, you know, it's like not to knock them, but it was, I, I remember feeling gap between like the real world experience and, and what I was getting out of the classes. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a huge benefit for, you know, you're doing it every day, you're doing it with your clients and you're able to teach it. Yeah, that, that was the goal. I, I mean, I, I think the best um, kind of mix of, of education in this space is going to be some people who are just kind of, uh, traditional professors, right, that have done research and that have been, that are, uh, you know, more trained in the pedagogy of teaching and everything. And that's really important to have that. But I think it's also in a field like this that's changing a lot. As you said, it's important to have, um, it's important to have things, uh, to, to have perspective from the real world that's coming in. Um, every semester, you know, my class ends up being different because I have to go and update the statistics and the facts and the, the screenshots and everything else. Um, in my presentations. Uh, and if you're just using the same thing for, for five years at a time, using a textbook that's been printed 10 years ago in digital marketing, it's going to be... Five is good. I feel like sometimes yeah. there was like, we were like, this is, th I mean, seriously, this is like <laughs> the beginning of time. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so in terms of, um, you know, the industry as a whole for you, um, are you feeling like you're having to make small incremental changes to your curriculum or are you, or is it feeling like much more of an overhaul each time? How quickly is the industry train changing that you need to ch teach new concepts? Mm -hmm. So my, yeah, my class only meets um, uh, typically once a week. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's a blended learning, supposed to do independent group work for half the time and then, um, and then you know, be in class for half the time. So, Depending on the semester, it's 13, 14, 15 meetings, how the holidays fall. Uh, and I'll end up teaching about half of them. Uh, so I'll have about, you know, six or seven lectures, you know, depending on, you know, maybe eight or nine, depending on the semester. And then I'll bring in some guest speakers um, to cover a few other topics. And then I have a couple of group presentations um, as well. I, uh, I try to cover in those, you know, seven, eight, nine classes that I uh, teach 100%. Um, I try to cover as much ground as possible. And so we'll take, you know, kind of broad stroke looks at branding and web, at mobile, at social media, at SEO, at PR, you know, all these, those type of things. Um, but then I also try to cover towards the end of class um, things like, uh, like ethics, like ethics and marketing and, uh, you know, design, like trying to teach as much design in one hour as I can. Um, so... With, uh, sometimes I mix up the framework in terms of what things need to be covered. Um, sometimes I bring in a guest speaker that somebody I've met recently that has a really interesting story or case study, and that's going to be different each time. Uh, but within the individual presentations um, and individual lessons, I try to make some stuff as evergreen as possible, which is stuff I, I, I like to go through the history and the background behind different topics. Um, and kind of like maybe the fundamentals of, you know, this, maybe the science and psychology behind some certain things. Uh, and then I try to bring it forward and, and show some more real world, you know, recent case studies. Uh, and I also lean on my guest speakers a lot to bring in current examples of the work that they're doing to, to help illustrate them. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Not that like I wish to do college over again because I actually <laughs> I, I do better outside of the you know the the traditional learning environment. But something like that is you know like now as you uh, you know paint a picture of it, I, I think that. Yeah, that, that, that would have been very cool uh, to have uh, back at that time. Um, you mentioned that um, teaching is your one of your favorite hobbies. <laughs> and um, 
I know a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, they, you know, they consider these kind of things, you know, in the same way. It's not the, you know, what you're getting out of it monetarily. Um, it's, uh, it's what you're getting from the students and from the experience. So what, you know, do you feel like you're learning from your students and, you know, what kind of like things are coming up for you every time you're teaching a class? Oh, all the time, all the time. I mean, now that I'm, you know, on the other side of 30, right. And it's, uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I'm no longer in the target demographic of a lot of the, uh, the campaigns that we talk about and work on. Um, you know, I, I really value the time and the connection I can get with, with my students who are mostly seniors that run 20, 21 years old, um, and, and the perspective that they're able to give. Um, so, uh, you know, for instance, like talking about social media, when I introduced that class, I like to do a little survey, a little informal kind of hand-raising survey at the beginning of each, of, of each semester to say, okay, what do you use, you know, on a daily basis or every other day, you know, what, what do you check? Um, what do you have a presence yeah. on? What do you check? Uh, and, you know, I say, okay, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, yeah, everything else. Uh, and it's been really interesting, unscientific results, but it's been interesting to see how that changes over time. And I always take a photo of that uh, and uh -huh. end up sharing it with the rest of my team saying, you know, this is what, you know, 30, 40, um, you know, 20 year olds in New York City are, you know, saying this semester. Uh huh. That's awesome. That's an awesome way to do it. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, and, you know, I feel you being on the uh, other side of 30. Um, it's, it's only, yeah, it's, it's like a strange thing that like only in the last few years, it's like all of it, like, you know, at first you're feeling like you're connected to everything. Nothing could pass you by. Like you're just like so plugged in. And then it's like all of a sudden, like these things are coming out from the woodworks and you're like, where is it coming from? And am I really that old? Oh yeah. It's in the, I've been doing this. I've been, you know, back as an instructor for six years now in the beginning, I was the same. I was the same generation as now. I was the same age. I was a few years older. I can, you know, kind of appear almost. Now I, I'll tell a story about MySpace or AOL Instant Messenger and I get a bunch of crickets, you know. Uh, <laughs> these, these students are, you know, when they're 20 years old, they got their first cell phones that were iPhones, right? Like that, that was their first cell phone when they were, you know, in, in grade school, a lot of them. It's a different. It's a little bit of a different experience. So it's made me feel young and old at the same time. But <laughs> has it? Um, are you when you're in, when you find out about a new platform? Do you feel like uh, you know? Do you personally explore it? Or are there some that uh, you just kind of say like you know like this is it not for me? Like how do you, like is there like should we apply pressure on ourselves like to to do all the the latest uh, you know things to to stay young or should we like allow ourselves as, like in this age demographic to just kind of uh just use what what we need yeah that's a good one um because i'm tackling that right now with tiktok uh -huh. so, we we have clients um you know it's a professional obligation for us to to be aware of everything that's um everything that's that's new and popular and coming down the pipe and will be new and popular um uh, we haven't had any clients that have necessarily made sense for TikTok at this point, uh, but that's not saying there might not be in the in the future. And so, you know, there's there's a difference between the things that I personally uh, want to use and and like and engage with uh, versus the things that I feel like uh, are kind of more of a, a professional priority for that. Because um, you know, as 
as I've been getting older, so I'm, yeah, I'm less interested in, in, in some of these things. Uh, Same. Some, I'm more interested in other ones. Uh, so, but that's not always 100% relevant. So, yeah, we, we do the homework on it. I try to edge on the side of using more things that are new and different because that's, you know, going to be, um, you know, that that's going to be more helpful than just kind of doing the homework on it. Uh, that being said, though, I don't see myself necessarily getting a TikTok presence, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I was really headed. I just wanted yeah. to know about your, <laughs> your TikTok thing. Um, <laughs> And, and, and here's another thing. So you started the company uh, right out of college. And, you know, I think like the value prop there was like, Hey, we're right out of college. We know this thing. And now that it's been nine years, do you, um, do you make it a point to um, hire uh, students like, you know, hire people right out of college? Like, how do you uh, kind of like stay within that value prop or has it changed over time? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, that started to dawn upon us too, right? You know, we're, we're no longer <laughs> necessarily the youngest people kind of in the, in the space. Uh, uh -huh. And so, you know, our name Digital Natives is a play on that, right? It's a play on us being, you know, uh, intuitively understanding uh, of the space. Um, there's a lot of people that are like that now. A lot of people that are in agencies or, you know, started agencies are digital natives. Uh, so that's not necessarily a difference anymore. Mm -hmm. Um and so we started to lean on other attributes when we're talking about, you know, why are we different or why are we better? And we, there's a few different things and, you know, we use them as different headlines on our website and proposals, but um, we like to say kind of we're curious and relentless. So, you know, there's, yeah, there's a little bit of stubbornness there. There's a little bit of, you know, inquisitiveness. There's a little bit of um, uh, kind of a problem solving mentality that we, we like to approach them with. And that's, that's what we lean into more, at this stage than we did, you know, five years mm -hmm. ago, the you know, towards, towards the beginning. Um, in terms of who we hire, uh, you know, it is important that we hire people that, that have an understanding of the different uh, technologies. And as time's gone on, you know, we've, you know, we've hired people, you know, that are the same age as us, that are older, that are younger. And it's just, you know, it depends on the, uh, um, depends on the need. Yeah. And so you mentioned earlier uh, that um, your business partners now, uh, they're, uh, I think all of them uh, you met while you were uh, in college or, or are some of them from somewhere else? Half high school, half college. Half yeah. high school, half college. So you obviously have a really long uh, relationship uh, with your partners. So just tell me a little bit about how you guys work and how your relationship together uh, has been evolving over time. Mm -hmm. Are there any or any bumps in the road that you guys have been able to overcome? <laughs> you know, we, we have uh, we, we, we have four partners, including myself. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, to be frank, that's a lot. You know, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. Everybody, everybody does their own their own uh, important work as part of the team. Uh, but uh, you know, there's sometimes a little bit of, uh, I would say, uh, a little bit of kind of inertia to overcome when you have four partners. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, that being said, it's nice to have different perspectives on things and people who, when someone's really high and someone's really low, they can kind of, you know, balance themselves out uh, with each other. Uh, it's good to have different perspectives in the decision-making process and to, um, you know, we each have our own personalities that complement very nicely. Uh, if I was doing it again, I, uh, you know, would I go out and say, hey, go get four partners? I would say it's going to be hard. It's a hard thing to do. 
Um, you know, if you have a really great team, you can do it. But um, also, I think starting a business by yourself is hard. You know, it, it can be it can be lonely to not have somebody um, to again share in the highs and share in the lows, and to be able to uh, to kind of level you out and to bounce things off of. Uh, so. You know, there, there's no kind of right way or wrong way to do it. I mean, we've been together for nine years. We've known each other for longer. Um, and certainly there are days where you want to kind of rip each other's, you know, uh, you know face off versus, you know, the days when you can, you know, you all go celebrate and be happy and cheery. Um, but, yeah, I, I've, you know, I've appreciated having them around, uh, you know, over the past nine years. Are there any tips as you guys, um, you know, have grown into this partnership that, that uh, are takeaways maybe for younger teams that are starting out that, um, that maybe have multiple voices in the room? Um, hmm. I would say that it's important to figure out who has uh, kind of the uh, last word or maybe most influential word uh, in certain domains. Mm-hmm. Um, that's important. If you have too many, if you, if you don't have a kind of a clear delineation over who takes care of what items or what clients or what projects, um, and you don't have a clear delineation of which things you have to have a consensus on versus things that you can just do with majority or things you can just do with one person, um, then the confusion, uh, kind of mounts, um, Early on, we had uh, we had a, a mentor who ran an agency as well, and uh, him and his business partner uh, had a really kind of clear delineation, which is one of them is in charge of the work, is in charge of the creative, and one of them is in charge of the business. They each have input on other pieces, but at the end of the day, partner X says, you know what, this is the campaign we're going to pitch, and this is what we're going to do for it. You know, they'll do it. And if partner B says... Um, you know, hey, this is, you know, we're going to hire this person over that person. They have, you know, final say on that piece. Uh, and that doesn't have to be the, the line that people draw. Uh, it could be different business units, but make sure when you get, uh, you know, when you get together with other people, uh, they do have that, that uh, uh, kind of deline- that, that delineated. Um, the other thing I would say is, um, you know, dating before marriage is mm-hmm. important too. Uh, there's a great book called The Founder's Dilemmas, which is a little bit dry, but it's a really great, um, mm-hmm. it's a really good kind of read. And there's a whole section there about what type of partnerships uh, make uh, for the most successful businesses. And uh, the conclusion, there's, they review, oh, is it family? Is it friends? Is it, you know, coworkers? And at the end of the day, they say coworkers uh, are statistically the most successful um, uh, people to start a business with because you have some of that relationship before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that's really interesting, um, you know, and I think uh, I've struggled with that myself a lot when bringing, um, when bringing someone into the company in a bigger role, um, like you said, dating before marriage. And I think that's interesting. I think about it all the time. And it's also uh, kind of what kind of circumstances lend themselves to having that ability, right? Even when you're hiring, right? Um, there's not really, um, I, I don't know if anyone has solved for, uh, look, let's say you don't, ha- if you don't have anyone in your network, you don't have any, you know, former coworkers uh, that you, um, that complement your skill set to start a business. How do you get to know someone uh, in a quick amount of time so that either you start a business with them or you hire them? It's tough. It's tough. Um, you know, the way we do, 
the way we do hiring and kind of this industry, this economy, I mean, the whole, the whole country, it's, it's not great. It's guessing, right? It's guess, I mean, you can have, you can have, um, you know, a nice interview with somebody and you can have a nice follow-up and a nice group interview and a good, you know, work, pro- you know, sample and nice recommendations and all those things. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's going to be, you know, you're, you're kind of picking somebody based off of, you know, what their little best presentation package is mm-hmm. uh, versus what maybe the objective truth is about working with them. Um, you know, there are companies that do trials. Um, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that they pay trials. You can't get somebody to yes. do, you know, should be doing free work for you. Um, but we, we've, we've done that to different degrees, depending on the, the, the hire, depending on the, the urgency of filling that role. But sometimes we'll say, Hey, you know, we're going to try somebody out for a month, you know, and, but the problem is there's just an, an inherent challenge there because that person is saying, Hey, you know what, I'm going to go take this job for a month. I'm going to put my job search on hold while I'm doing that. They yeah. they may or may not hire me at the end of that month. It's, it's hard. It is hard. There's no really, you know, I, I wish I had a better answer in terms of, you know, here's the solution for the best way to hire somebody or best way to find a partner. Um, but, you know, if you've worked with somebody as a freelancer before, if you worked mm-hmm. with them, you know, in an, on a board together or something where something we've seen what their work self is in, mm-hmm. beyond just the interview self um, is that's what you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, like where I'm coming from, like in terms of like asking this question is uh, I, I think that like you and I are kind of like on, on different sides of the spectrum where like you started a business right away uh, with all of these partners. And so, you know, it, both sides have like their pluses and minuses, right? I started my business right away on my own. And so it's like kind of like, it's like interesting, um, like to have this conversation at this time where like, you've been running your business for a while. I've been running my business for a while. And it's like, you have your takeaways. And in terms of my takeaways, you know, I, uh, I feel like, Hey, like, um, even though it's been this long and the, the business is, is up and running, I feel like having a partner in, in some sense would amplify it. But then it's, wow, like you've already like walked a, like a really long journey on your own. And it's like, how do you even, um, you know, unpack that to see uh, how to bring someone on? So it's like, no, like that sentence that you said, like dating before marriage, I think it's just so brilliant. And it's like, I haven't like been able to find a way to date, right? Like it's, um, it's hard. And especially when you're considering that for as a partner versus just an employee, um, yeah, that's a, that's a much bigger commitment, right? And you know, if you're talking about you know, ownership, if you're talking about profits, if you're talking about managerial decision making, um, it's really important that you get that right because untangling that's going to be a lot harder than saying, "Hey, you know what? We weren't a good fit. Let's part ways with an employee." Um, yes. And so, you know, it's you know, I'd be interested to see kind of how you how you go about the, that thought process and that. Uh, yes, <laughs> me too. We'll see what. Uh, what comes out of there? Um, one thing I want to touch on, um, and it's it, it, why it's one of the uh, reasons it's so interesting for me to connect with you right now. Uh, our company is currently in the process of rebranding or rather branding. So when we started out, um, we really didn't have a brand. Um, there weren't a lot of uh, players out there. I was just kind of like head down, like focusing on the product. Um, and now that there are, there are more competitors in the space and it's only going to keep growing. Uh, you know, I, I found the need that, you know, I need to have a clear way of communicating who my brand is and who I am, uh, to potential prospects. 
And what's interesting is I'm finding the, the exercise that I'm doing now of uncovering who I am uh, and creating that communication, I'm finding it almost easy, right? Because there is, you know, throughout these uh, last four years, even though I never wrote it down, it seems like, uh, unco- you know, unconsciously still I was building a brand and now I'm just putting it down on paper. But I'm wondering if, if I was just starting out or for companies that are just starting out there right at the beginning, uh, how do young companies start to think about their branding when they haven't, they haven't launched anything yet? Yeah. Um, you know, what you said, you know, there's a line that we, we use a lot when we talk about branding, which is, you know, the best brands are discovered instead of instead of built. Um, is that they they exist somewhere? They exist in your personality. They exist in how you've been dealing with clients. They just what your dream is, um, and it's the job of you know whoever's running the branding process, the consultant, an agency internally, uh, to uncover that and to figure out you know what what is the authentic truth um, to the to what you're doing. Um, and there's a bunch of different tools that we'll use to kind of help get to that. Uh, the, the, you know, most of them are conversations. Mean, to, to start with, whenever we talk about branding, it's a lot of conversations, a lot of discovery. We are interviewing people. I mean, we're in the process right now of, doing a, of, of a couple of different branding processes. Um, and, you know, it's challenging because we're not able to do site visits. We're not able mm. to do, um, you know, these kind of focus groups or in-person uh, uh, interviews where you get additional context. Yes. But, you know, we've had we've had uh, with one of these projects over a, do- a dozen different interviews with different groups of stakeholders, internal to the company, external to the company, their customers, or suppliers, that everything else. Um, uh, and you know, there's a whole process that that uh, we go through uh, when it, for, for the branding, and it loosely maps to um, Simon Sinek's kind of golden circle model, which is you start with the why, and then the how, and then the what. Um, mm-hmm. So the best brands, the best communicators start with, you know, why they are doing something, what is their cause, their belief, their, you know, differentiation there, mm-hmm. and then how they end up doing it, how they actualize that. And then the products come after, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's roughly it. Um, we'll go through a few different pieces where we talk about a brand essence, we talk about a positioning statement, we talk about the arena. And then at the end of the process, the last thing that comes out, uh, is if there's names, if it's logo, if it's tagline, if it's jingle, colors, font, everything, all that stuff is the end of the process, not the beginning mm-hmm. of the process. And so, and then, so where does the product fit, right? So like, if you're just starting, right, like I, I don't have a single customer yet, but you know, I need a website, I need some kind of a presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, um, do you still do that kind of a discovery uh, in that onset? Or do you just kind of say, um, do like some like simple landing page and let somebody just operate for a certain amount of time to gather insight. How does it work? Yeah. So, um, a l- little bit of both, right? So the landing page, uh, model is really great to, to kind of test things. You can run some advertisement, you can, you can collect emails, um, you can do pre-orders or, or pre-sales. Um, and that can be, uh, that can be a really effective way to test what you're doing. Uh, but, you know, if you're starting a new brand and you don't have customers and don't have anything else, um, there's still people to talk to, right? And so mm-hmm. you're going to be selling it to somebody. And so maybe it's not an existing customer, but you know, it is, it is somebody who would be that customer somebody who fits that, that mold. Um, you know, every brand, every business is looking to solve a problem. And so how can you learn as much as you can about that problem and who it affects and why it's important to solve, um, 
we do this type of discovery process really on every project. Um, so the example I love to use is we did the website for Grand Central Terminal a few years ago. And we literally like stood on the concourse of Grand Central flagging down tourists and asking them mm. about their day, right? Mm -hmm. How did they get here today? Where'd they go before? What entrance did they use? You know, wh where are they going to go shopping? Are they going to take a tour? And we just, you know, what language do, you know, do they speak? We, we use all that to uh, inform how we ended up building the website. We also talked to commuters and we talked to the store owners and we talked to the people who run the MTA and everybody. And all of that information, we took that and we kind of, you know, built a solution. Mm -hmm. for that. For a branding project, there's going to be a similar uh, mix of stakeholders, and you want to get as much input as you can, um, and then you start to, to, to synthesize it. The way we always start is really just kind of, it's the brand essence, right? And the brand essence is uh, your brand, the seed of your brand, in two, three, four kind of simple words, a simple phrase. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, you know, some examples of it for, this is not necessarily public. It's not a tagline. It could be a tagline, yeah. but it's not necessarily one. Uh, but we'll look and we'll say, you know, Hallmark might be caring shared. Uh, mm -hmm. Disney might be magical happiness. Uh, it could be a tagline, right? So Nikes might be just do it. Um, you know, Starbucks might be rewarding everyday moments. There's a million, you know, different, uh, you know, FedEx, your world delivered, right? All, all these, um, these brand essences, which are not necessarily a science, you know, these are all like always public for the brand. Um, but we'll start putting up words. I mean, if we're in the conference room, which, you know, who knows what we'll, mm. we'll get back to the conference room, when, you know, we put up a bunch of post-its on the wall and say, okay, this was a value or this was a word uh, that was, um, you know, that came up a lot or we thought was, you know, the basis of people's uh, 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 you know, comments. Uh, and then we go from that. And then we start to build that out into other pieces. You know, now that you're you're coloring this for me, uh, I'm understanding a little bit more because we had uh, connected to do this interview after you had uh, posted on your LinkedIn about working remotely um, mm -hmm. and some of its challenges. And, you know, I, I think that the way that, you know, I'm always looking at it is I've been doing it for such a long time. I'm like, what can't you do remotely? You can do everything. <laughs> but now that you say this, uh, I, I do understand the unique challenge, right? Like in that sense that uh, in terms of what you guys are doing, the kind of information that you're gathering, yeah, I can see how the, um, the energy is very important. The kind of conversations you're having when they're in person uh, are different. And I've heard from other people uh, in a similar space that like this is um, this is a point of struggle. So mm -hmm. this colors it for me a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so to kind of I guess paint the picture for everybody you know, listening, um, what I said in that post was I think remote work is generally fine. You know, it's fine. I don't, I don't think it's amazing. I don't think it's really bad. I think it's fine. Um, and most people's jobs in kind of the information economy are, are you know, can do most of it, uh, but it relies a lot on knowledge and trust and relationships that uh, are best built in person, are most mm -hmm. effectively built when you can see to the face-to-face. Um, and the conclusion to that is basically what I was thinking was um, – it's easy to continue working on something remotely. Uh, it's harder to get something started. It's harder to get a business started. It's harder to get a new client relationship started or a new employee started. Um, and it's not saying it's impossible. It's just that you're going to have to go, you know, do a little bit of extra legwork to really kind of build that relationship. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, I totally get it. I, I just want to go back to the earlier point um, because uh, I'm curious when you guys are starting out uh, with new clients, are there, uh, are there any kind of things that, uh, you know, obviously for me, the, you know, what you guys offer um, is you do this like thinking on behalf of the of the company owners on behalf of the founders, right? Like you provide this additional insight. So you do a lot of that legwork, but is there, um, you know, what kind of homework do you like it if the client already did before they came to you? Is there like an ideal client? Um, you know, that is interesting. That is interesting. Um, we don't typically give a client uh, homework in advance. Uh, okay. We like to kind of have them give authentic answers to, to a lot of these questions when we're doing a discovery process. Um, it depends. If we're doing something like a website or a mobile app and it has more kind of requirements to it, we'll, we'll tend to send a few, here are the talk, here are the general areas we want to cover so they can prepare some of that at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll ask the client in terms of homework to give us as much as they can in terms of, mm-hmm. do they have existing guidelines? Do they have an employee handbook? Do they have voice, you know, social media content? Give us everything that gives us a sense of to who you are and, you know, what, what you've been doing so far. Um, we will ask them maybe kind of after the initial uh, interview to uh, to do homework in terms of saying, okay, now that we've had this initial conversation, who else should we talk to? You know, we have a sense as to who they might be, but, you know, who else could you connect us to that could be interesting? You know, either a great, mm-hmm. great you know, a customer, somebody who's been a critic, I mean, any, anybody uh, in their universe that has uh, interesting insight. Uh, we'll also ask for... Um, we try to avoid in, in, in everything we do, if it's websites, if it's social media, if it's branding, saying, hey, who do you like? You know, who, do you, who out there do you like? But mm-hmm. we'll frame it as who do uh, you think in this space or another space uh, adjacent to it, who do you think does a really good job communicating? Because I don't mm-hmm. care what they – we always say like has nothing to do with it. Uh, mm-hmm. Like is a bonus. If they like the website, great. If they like the content, great. Um, but the goal is – does this achieve their goals? Is this on brand? Is this on message uh, for, for whatever we're doing? Does it work properly? Those are the goals. And if you achieve those, most of the time like comes out of it, but we don't necessarily care if you personally like it. That's a, that's, that's a bonus. Um, and then when you talk about branding, it's, I, you know, I get that you like the, you know, Dos Equis ads. I get that you mm-hmm. like the old site or whatever, but who does a great job communicating either this around this particular you know, industry that you're in or with a similar voice as to, you know, but in a different industry, you know, who sells a car in, in a, with the same kind of attitude that you want to sell your insurance or something. Yeah. That that's, um, th- that's some of the stuff that we look for and we want them to come with kind of an open mind um, and we'll give yeah. them homework. One, one other thing in terms of homework is uh, when we present something to them, we, you know, we're happy to take feedback and questions. We don't want to get most of their feedback immediately. We don't want mm-hmm. to relax in. We want to have their, you know, their, their mm. review. Uh, and so we say, take a look at this, you know, happy to answer some questions now, but let's connect again in 48 hours and, you know, sleep on it, take a look at it, and then let's talk on Yeah, uh, I think that's a great approach. And in terms of like the way that you're framing the questions and even that, um, it's, 
at least for myself and and I don't know, you know, how much of it that you guys are doing for small business owners or for larger companies when it's your own company, when it's your own kind of baby, you, you feel so emotional. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's like the job of someone like you is to kind of like untangle all of that uh, so that, and, and I imagine that it, yeah, it, it must be hard to sometimes get like clear um, communication from the client, especially if it's something that they've been building for a long time, they just have like certain attachments to it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So that, that's some of the best value that we bring to the table. A lot of times is a lot of mm -hmm. their, their internal teams or, or, you know, solo entrepreneurs that, um, that have a certain thing that they, a certain way that they talk internally or a certain, um, you know, established kind of norms uh, and us coming in as outsiders and asking them to explain it to us and asking them to, to use plain language instead of using, you know, their internal jargon um, often is in itself a breakthrough uh, mm -hmm. for them. Uh, and us coming from the outside to say, listen, I know you think this is really important, but we talked to a dozen customers and it's not, you know, it's really this other thing that's really important. Um, th that can be more valuable than, than any, you know, amount of design on the webpage or anything else that's important. Yes, definitely. And to close out this conversation, I, I want to get your take on, um, you know, how the coronavirus situation uh, you think might affect, um, you know, some of the trends uh, that you're seeing uh, in your space. Like one of the, like, this is anecdotal, but one of the things, and I, I have never paid, I haven't paid attention to it uh, until we started to, uh, you know, do the branding and look at the websites. And now I see almost every website, for example, has that banner at the top. It says like COVID, you know, something, uh, whether it's relevant to the industry or not at this point, like some people are just putting it up, like, of course your business is digital. I wouldn't be concerned, but you know, they're putting up the banner. So I'm just, you know, I'm wondering, you know, kind of what else is in the space and where do you see the trajectory? Yeah, we spent a lot of time in the first couple of weeks of, of this, uh, crisis helping to transition our clients to, um, uh, the new reality, right? So we work, we do a lot of work with social media for authors and book publishing. Some books got pushed back. We do a lot of work of tourism and, and travel. And a lot of that stuff had to be changed on websites, mobile apps, et cetera. Um, and when we do websites for everybody, we actually, most of the new websites that we work on, uh, we want to make sure that they're as flexible of a tool as possible. So they have a, a notification system like that in case, something like this happens, they can just kind of click a button on the CMS and, and put it on. We actually, though, we went back to all of our old clients that still have, you know, websites up. Um, even if we don't have an ongoing relationship with them, we said, you know, listen, we're happy to, to do this. If you'd like us to, we can, we can put something up for you. Because uh, we knew that it was kind of a, you know, it was, it was a crazy time for everybody. Uh, now we're in a little bit of a new normal. Uh, and some of those uh, notifications have come down. Um, some of, you know, these things are going to begin to reopen in the next uh, couple months or to change their procedures again in the next uh, few months. And so there's going to be a little bit more uh, changes coming up uh, on the horizon. But I think that those are going to be a little bit less kind of fire drilly than some of the, mm -hmm. the ones on the, on the closing side. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a new, it's going to be a new normal. Um, I think we were talking a little bit before, before we had this conversation uh, about, I think that less things are going to change drastically in the long run than people really think. Uh, there are people saying, oh, it's the death of handshakes. Nobody's going to do that. 
we've been shaking hands for hundreds of years, you know, and through every other pandemic for the past, you know, you know, five centuries, six centuries, we're going to be shaking hands at the end of this. We're going to be having meetings in person. People are going to go back to restaurants. They're going to go to baseball games. All of these things are going to happen still. Um, in the short run, in the next six months, in the next year, it might not happen in the same way, but mm-hmm. we'll, we will eventually get back to a point where it's mostly the same. I think the things that were on their last legs that were mm. kind of, um, you know, fading away anyway, they're not going to do so hot. The, the, you know, the JC pennies and the pure ones of the world that just filed for bankruptcy in the past few days. Um, those type of companies, the Sears, if they were already kind of on the way out, they're going to have a hard time. This is kind of the last, um, mm-hmm. you know, the last straw for them. But you know, I, I, maybe maybe some business travel is going to you know slow down too, as more people say. You know what, Zoom works pretty well, and you know phone calls are fine for a lot of these things. I don't need to spend ten thousand dollars to send you know three mm. employees over to you know their client X. Um, so you know some some of those some of those things are definitely going to change. Um, but you know, there's a there's a lot of inertia in the way that things are, um, and it's it's silly for anybody to say. Things are going to 100% change. And there's also slave for somebody to say, everything's going to be the same on the other side of this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm definitely uh, in, in line with what you're saying, you know, in terms of, um, yeah, the, the things, I'm of the opinion that everything, the, the trends that were, go, like, whatever the trends were, they're, you know, they're, they just got accelerated. So, like, things, you know, so if even, um, like, from our side, like, virtual assistants, right? If yeah if before we had to really like start to explain, Hey, like it's, it's almost like, you know, we can do everything. Now it's, it's getting to the point where of course people are now really seeing for themselves that things are virtual. So uh, they're more open uh, to things like this. Like, so it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting and I think it will continue uh, to be interesting to, uh, to navigate all of this. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, Ben, thank you so much. Uh, this was uh, this was such a fun conversation uh, to have. I thought it was so informative. Uh, so I really appreciate having your time. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Valerie. It was great, it was great speaking to you and looking forward to uh, catching up again soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entrepreneurial Minds by Chatterboss. Our dedicated and on-demand virtual executive assistant team specializes in supporting entrepreneurs and business owners with pretty much any admin task. Go to chatterboss.com to learn more.